open up in prayer as we look to God's word. Heavenly Father, uh, we have been reminded how, how unworthy we are to come before you. That we don't deserve to be in your presence, we don't deserve to be part of your family. Yet you are a God of enormous grace in a way that we could never replicate despite our best pursuits. Lord, you have shown us so much of your wonderful character. And Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit dwells within us and and who desires to produce like character in our life. Uh, Lord, we pray as we've been challenged by many things throughout this series, uh, that we would find joy in trusting in you, in putting to death the deeds of the flesh, to be walked, led by the Spirit. Lord, we don't just want to teach and learn things about the fruit of the Spirit. We want genuine gospel transformation in our lives. And we pray as we reflect upon your word, as we look at faithfulness this morning, that you might bring about that change. And we ask and we commit ourselves to you for that purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are up to the eighth in the series of the fruit of the Spirit. If you're visiting or if you've missed some, um, all of them are up on our website. Um, that being said, that we should notice that we have changed the address. It is www.eastgatebiblechurch.com, no longer um, .net, although .net will redirect. Uh, but also, too, if you're normally used to listening to our sermons via the sermon.net, uh, we're also going to be closing that down very shortly and having everything um, directly on our website. So just as a note to keep that noted. But as we've gone through the series on fruit of the Spirit, we've come up with this rough definition of what spiritual fruit is. as any transformation in thought, character, action and attitude in the life of a spirit-led believer, enabled by the Spirit to make us more like Christ. Or in very simple terms, transformation to make us more like Christ, enabled by the Spirit. But while we call it the fruit of the Spirit, that is the fruit which the Holy Spirit produces in the life of a believer, we've also seen the contrast that we are, we are encouraged and commanded to bear fruit. The analogy which we've used week after week is the idea of if we desired apples in our backyard, the primary pursuit isn't apples as though hoping apples will just magically appear. Apples are the result of a primary pursuit of getting a tree, planting it, tending it, looking after it. Or as Samuel uh, quite well worded it last week, that fruit is the necessary and natural result of a healthy tree. And to bring that over to a spiritual analogy, we said that in closeness in our relationship with Christ, the natural fruit that bears from that is the fruit of the Spirit. We said the primary pursuit is a closer and nearer relationship with the source of life. Now, a few weeks ago, I was actually asked a question about that, and it was a good question. When we've been saying repeatedly, week after week, the primary pursuit is a closer relationship with Jesus... Yet the scripture commands us to do certain things should we not also be pursuing. Now what I want to clarify is when I say the primary pursuit 
I mean the first among many. So yes, we are commanded to, to, to bear this fruit. So yes, we should be pursuing them. But when I say that pursuing a closer relationship with Jesus is their primary pursuit is because in our nearness and our closeness to him not only develops our desire to produce fruit, but that is the source of power from which we are enabled to produce that fruit. So yes, we do desire and pursue fruit, but I say primary, our closeness and our relationship with Jesus is both the motivation and the source from which the fruit comes. So hopefully that helps clarify, and it's worth clarifying because we've used this analogy many weeks in a row so far. But as we've looked through the fruit of the Spirit, we've seen a lot of it is expressed in, in community. Like it talks about interpersonal things, how you relate to one another. Now it's very easy if you're locked away in a little building by yourself to practice patience. We're all pretty patient with ourselves. We're all pretty loving of ourselves. That these are things that require us to be in relationship with others. And faithfulness that we're looking at today is no exception to that rule. Our structures we're looking at today is this. Firstly, we're going to look at what is faithfulness. Probably a good starting point before we talk about it. And then we're going to look about three ways which faithfulness expresses itself. In honesty, dependability and loyalty. So what is faithfulness? The Greek word that's translated here in Galatians 5 speaks of faithfulness but it is translated in three entirely different ways throughout the New Testament. For example, sometimes it is just translated as the word faith, like as in believing or trusting in God. Like in Galatians, just earlier on in Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. Another way in which this word is used is speaking of the Christian belief set or the faith or the message. Like in 2 Corinthians 13.5 where it says, examine yourself, see whether you are in the faith. The exact same Greek word. But most commonly in Paul, and especially when he's talking about interpersonal stuff and ethical things, he's speaking about faithfulness. But what is this faithfulness of which he speaks of? Our definition which we have here is this, being true, trustworthy and reliable in all one's dealings with others and others also, not just including people, but also in our relationship with God. Or synonyms or other words, other words um, similar in meaning, trustworthy, dependable and loyal. But whenever you look at a definition positively of what something is, sometimes it helps bring a sharper definition by also clarifying what is not something. For example, Daniel chapter 6. King Darius has made Daniel the second highest person in the kingdom. Now remember that Daniel's not a Babylonian. He's been taken captive Now he's not even a local, but he's given the second highest position in the land. You can imagine the locals are not too impressed. 
So much so, this is their response we read in Daniel 6. Then the high officials, of which Daniel was one, but he was the highest, and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. In other words, they they wanted to bring something against him, but they could not because he was faithful. And the second half of that sentence shows you what the opposite is. It says, because there was no error or fault found within him, or there was no grounds for complaint against him. So there you go. If you want some good protection about how people can't use stuff against you, to, to live in a way which is faithful. The NIV probably puts that even clearer in the way it translates verse 14. Saying they couldn't find complaint because they found no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and was neither corrupt nor negligent. Now with the fruit of the Spirit, as with all of the fruit, it's speaking about the character of God being displayed in the life of God's people. Like God is the standard because it is the third person of the Trinity who is enabling this fruit, it is indeed his character and his standard which is being expressed. So we're repeatedly told throughout the scriptures, God is faithful. Most famously, Lamentations chapter 3, great is your faithfulness. So firstly, we are called to be faithful lies because God is faithful. We are to reflect the character of the God whom we belong to and who is at work within our life. But not only just because God is faithful and trustworthy, but also we read that God's word itself, the message from God, which makes sense because if God is faithful and trustworthy, that which he gives to us would also be faithful and trustworthy. When we read in the description of what is required of elders in Titus, it says, the person who would be an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. God is faithful and trustworthy. His word is faithful and trustworthy. And thirdly, faithfulness is something of great value to God. Anytime you see the description that God requires of those who would be his leaders you'll always find in connection to faithfulness. And when, often when we read passages about leadership or particular positions in a church, we think, oh, phew, that's not me, it doesn't apply. What we should look and think, if these are what God desires in the life of his leaders, these must be the things which are valuable to him if he wants those things in those people who are, who are up front. In 1 Corinthians 4, when Paul's speaking about the apostles, says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And moreover, it is required that stewards, that they be found faithful. With regards to passing on the baton of the teaching of the scriptures in 2 Timothy 2, 1-2, Paul writes to Timothy saying, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men 
who will be able to teach others also. So faithfulness, trustworthiness is what it's about. The first way which we're going to look at the ways which is expressed is faithfulness expressed in honesty. We've already seen that in the example of Daniel in Daniel chapter 6, they couldn't bring charge against him because he was not negligent, because he was not corrupt. Likewise, when they tried to bring charges against Jesus in John chapter 8, they tried to find fault against him and Jesus responds in 8.46 saying, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? God values honesty and integrity. When we look to the Proverbs, he says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Seems a foreign concept, isn't it? That God would delight in people. But God delights in seeing faithfulness at work in his people. And he sees faithfulness as being the opposite to lying. Now, as Christians, we all understand that lying is not a good thing. But God uses some pretty strong language there, doesn't he? Lying lips are an abomination. Abomination tends not to be a, a gentle or a nice word. To try and illustrate that, imagine if you were a young fella and you liked a girl, let's pretend it's high school and you do the high school thing and you go around to ask all the friends, oh, what are my chances, does she like me? And they say, she thinks you're an abomination. You're not going to go, woohoo, I'm in with a fighting chance, here are you? You think there's something in this relationship that is really, really fractured and ruined. And this is what God says about those who speak lies. It's not something he takes lightly. It's not something we should take lightly as people who want to love and live in a way which is pleasing to him. But the truth is we live in a world that is very different. How they view honesty, how they view lies. It kind of Their definition sort of revolves around, well, it depends. Depends on the setting, depends on what is easiest. But if we were to define what lies really are, we could say something like this. Any deceit in word, act, attitude, whether by silence or inaction, in deliberate exaggerations, distortions of the truth, or in creating false impressions. So anything you either do, say, think, that causes another to see something incorrectly. To give some examples that probably aren't the type of things that normally jump to our mind when we think about lying. Pretending to be someone we're not. Pretending to be something we're not. Exaggerations. Like when someone comes and says, Steve, the whole church says we need to get a coffee machine. When what you mean by the whole church is you and a couple of your mates. Or when you leave things out, you're lodging your tax and you know, ask the question, have you got any other sources of income? And you think, well, it's not recorded anywhere. I, I can get away with this. No one knows. But if we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit being the display of God's character in the life of his people, if God is the standard of that character, 
tell me, when's an appropriate time to lie? If God's standard of truthfulness and faithfulness is the standard, when is it okay to lie? We live in a culture that there's an, such a thing as acceptable social lying. Like sort of minor stuff when it makes it easy or more comfortable for us or others. To give just some little, what might seem like petty examples. You're going into the shopping centre and there's the, the charity people asking for donations. And you say, I've already given. And you haven't. It just seems easier than the actual thing of of having a longer conversation to explain why you don't want to give to that. Or the funny ones where you say, oh, I haven't got any money on me. And they see that you're going into the shops. Well, you might not have cash on you. Now, you might think you're getting a little bit petty there. But Jesus emphasises there is importance in how faithful and honest and reliable and trustworthy you are with little things. Luke 16.10 One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. So all spheres of life, if you are unfaithful or dishonest in small things, there's probably an indication that that will carry over into the greater things as well. I've often said with regards to discipleship, when you're thinking, who would be a good person to enter into a discipling relationship with? Now, our natural mind thinks the person who's got the right sort of gifts or talents. I would say, find someone who is faithful in the little things. Because that's an indication of someone who will be faithful in big things. How we handle the little things is a very good indication of how much we value truth And if we want to grow in honesty, it starts by demonstrating that in, in the little things. In the business world or in the sporting world, there's almost this, this perception that you, that you need to lie and sort of be a little deceitful in, in order to get ahead, to have success. One thing I love watching sports, and probably in team events has um, greater implications, is when a sportsman corrects an error that the whoever, umpire or whatever sport it is, has called, and it's actually to their detriment to correct it. Like I remember seeing that in Australian Open one year. There was a, it was a really important point. And a player taken a shot, the guy on the line had called it out. And the player who was standing near where it had been called out corrected and says, that was in, and he lost that game. Because he valued upholding truth. Now, I don't think that person was a Christian, but just an example of what it looks like to be faithful in little things. And to produce that sort of faithfulness, we need to put off our fleshly tendency towards dishonesty, deception, and false impressions. So our first expression of faithfulness is in complete honesty and trustworthiness in all. Secondly, faithfulness as expressed by dependability. Faithfulness is this idea that you can be relied upon. You can be counted upon. You're not going to let somebody down. Not only is that displaying the character of God, but it also shows your love for your neighbour because 
by being dependable means that you care enough that you realise that if you're not dependable, it has impacts upon others and you don't want to let them down. Part of faithfulness and integrity is doing the things you say you're going to do. Like if you tell someone, yes, I will be there for this particular thing, do it. If you say, yeah, I'll help you with that, do it. We live in a society, particularly amongst young people, where we have a very low value on dependability. Where our dependability becomes subject to personal preference or convenience or something better coming up. Say, for example, you, if you had kids you, and you had something really important on a particular day and you'd ask someone if they, they would babysit your kids and they said, yep, yeah. on a Saturday morning, say it was, Friday night you get a text message and always there's a text message when something like this because otherwise you've got to say it to their face and say, sorry, I can't make it. Me and my friends are going out to coffee or something. It does happen. When people commit themselves to something, something that seems more enjoyable comes up and they cancel their commitment in order to do something more enjoyable for themselves while letting down the other person. In Psalm 15, David speaks about who is worthy to come into the presence of God. In verses 4 and 5, he has these words to say. And so this is ongoing, so it's sort of halfway through a sentence. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honours those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So he says, he who swears, as in he who swears an oath, even when it's to his own cost and detriment. That's the sort of person who's worthy to come into the presence of God, he says. It's probably put a little bit clearer in the way in which the NIV puts it. He who keeps his oath even when it hurts. And sometimes this type of faithfulness is difficult. Because it may mean not doing something that is more enjoyable. It may even cost you. Because you value the prior commitment that has been made. And how we deal with situations such as these is a good revealer of our faithfulness, but also a good revealer of how much we consider more highly the other person than ourselves. But this concept of keeping commitment even when it costs us is very unique in this world. In this world we have a condition called Starbo, subject to a better offer. But if you're committing to something, do it. Don't wait for a better offer. Now, in saying that, that's not saying there's never a reason to get out of a commitment. There's never a case of, sorry, Grand, I know you just died, but I can't come to your funeral because I told Steve that I would make him a coffee. Good commitment, but there are legitimate reasons. But there are also petty reasons they're not legitimate. I'm not always the most organised person. I might double book something. I've done that before. There, or sometimes might, something might come. There might be a reasonable reason. 
But if you're genuinely concerned about the other person, do make an effort to actually find something to or someone else to replace that. Because not only if you break that the commitment you made, not only have you made things difficult for the other person, but if then you just if you just say, I'm not going to do it and don't make any effort to organise someone to place, you actually add to their burden by giving them something else to do. So being dependable is not just a social obligation, it's a spiritual obligation as we are called to reflect the character of God. It's something I've been very guilty of. I'm a forgetful person, I'm not an organised person. That doesn't make an excuse. The fact that I'm aware that I'm a forgetful person and a disorganised person means I need to put better systems in place. If I want to reflect God's character and all God's people should, then if I see something that's greatly lacking, then we need to work on it. So a faithful person is honest and dependable and thirdly is also loyal. Now loyalty is not the same as dependability. Loyal means remaining true even when things are hard. By no means am I calling Will Smith a prophet or a Christian but it's just a quote that I'm taking hold of to say I thought I'd better clarify that in case you're thinking it's High Priest Will Smith. And he said, if you're present, if you're absent during my struggle, don't expect to be present during my success. Hardship in our life is a very big revealer of the nature of our friends. Who sticks with us and who deserts us? Genuine friends stick together and express their faithfulness by sticking together in thick and thin. Proverbs, which is known for its wisdom, says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Genuine friendship is expressed in loving at all times, the good and the bad. That they're born for adversity is like, this shouldn't be something that throws them in any way. But all aspects of faithfulness, honesty, dependability and loyalty, there'll be difficulties that come from that. There'll be cost to self. As an example, Saul's son Jonathan, who was loyal to David, that loyalty almost cost his life. But it's during our hardship, we need our friends the most. And sadly, it's the time when so often many leave at our most important moments. And what's even more sad is that even in churches, amongst God's people who are called to represent his character, can often do the same. If you need a motivator, take a moment and ponder God's faithfulness. Think of all the things you've put God through and think of how steadfast, how faithful he has been. Of his promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Again, the wisdom from the proverb says, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man, who can find? In other words, there's many who say we are good friends or proclaim to be your good friend. Hardships are the very best test of the truth of that statement. But loyalty in friendship is not just a blind loyalty that, that always just speaks positively and just 
overlooks anything that might actually need to be addressed that might be a problem or a negative. Faithful friends speak the truth. Sometimes that is hard. Some more wisdom from the Proverbs. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Like there is faithfulness, there is integrity. A friend is someone who is willing to speak the truth even at times when that might be uncomfortable for you. It's actually the enemy who doesn't actually care about you and your good growth who continues to flatter when something more harsh might need to be said. Speaking the truth in love demonstrates that you care enough for the person and for others. Jesus spoke about that in Matthew chapter 7, saying, Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now often people use those verses and say, you can't say or judge or make comments about anybody else. It doesn't say that. It says, of the high standard to which you hold, make sure you apply that home first. It says, first take the log out of your own eye and then you can see clearly to address others. So it's not saying avoid speaking to others and making correction, but saying make sure first and foremost that is applied at home. And in doing that, our goal is always to be out of love for the other person's benefit. It's never just a case of trying to make yourself feel better by putting the other person down. If that's your motivation, don't. Do it with sincerity and honestly seeking the best for the other. So faithfulness is a person who is honest, dependable, loyal in all seasons, both good and bad. Because this is the character of God as he has expressed himself to us. All of the fruit of the Spirit we've seen, there is one fruit that applies to every single Christian. All of us have the same Holy Spirit to enable us to walk in these things. Some of us are more naturally inclined this way than others. Some will find it easier than others. But we're all called to the same standard. Again, this is more than just ethics. We have a spiritual obligation as we reflect the character of God as he desires to work through us to that effect by his spirit. But to always be honest, always be trustworthy, this is the character of our God. Reflect upon who he is. He's always honest in his dealings with us. He's always trustworthy in what he's given us. He's always dependable at what he says he's going to do. He will do. He's always loyal. He sticks to us even through the worst of our times. And we know how bad we have been in our response to him at times. So faithfulness to God... Part of that was expressed in the way in which we are faithful to one another. In complete honesty, utter dependability and total loyalty. Which includes putting off the fleshly desires to go towards deceit, 
unreliability and disloyalty. What I'd like to do as we close in prayer, say we don't want to just learn and teach, we want to grow. I'm sure there's been things covered in this that we think, yeah, I'm not doing real good in that area. It's an area where I want to better reflect the character of God and I want God to do that work within me and I know it can only happen through the work of his spirit. So we're going to have a time of quiet, reflective prayer to um, think of ways which we may not have been as honest, dependable or loyal as we should, that God might change us. And after a short time of uh, quiet, reflective prayer where you are, I will close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess we are still so often a very selfish people. That in every single one of these areas, in, in honesty, dependability and loyalty, primarily where we, the areas in which we struggle in are because we want what we want. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have been so dependable, so loyal, so honest and truthful in, in your dealings with us. Lord, as we so, are so thankful for the way in which you have dealt with us, Lord, we pray that you might stir in us the grace to do so as we, as we relate to others. We thank you that in all of the fruit of the Spirit, as we see your character, uh, may it spur it on us as we, as we have received so freely that we might freely give. But Lord, we can't manufacture this. We desperately need the work of your spirit. And we pray that you would work within us and that these things that we've mentioned in the quietness of our heart, uh, Lord, that you will bring conviction, but also you'll bring the power and the strength by your spirit to bring about change that we might reflect you well in this world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.